You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Oh. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will be looking at two eras of Tim Drake. One will be the classic 90s 2000 Tim Drake Robin and Red Robin series, while the second will be taking a look at Tim Drake in the current era of DC Comics Rebirth and Beyond, most notably Detective Comics or whatever books Tim appears in that month. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. For them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and with me is my co-host, Terrence O'Neill. How are you doing today, Terrence? Doing great. Ready to go step back in the Wayback Machine, I guess they call it, and go back to 1993. That's that's right. Uh, and with us again, I think we're going to have to start referring to him as our semi-sometimes <laughs> co-host, Ryan Haas. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great. You know, I feel like I never left from the previous episode. <laughs> it's <laughs> almost as if this was one gigantic recording session and Luke had to go, so we just continued on. Maybe that's how it was. Oh, uh... You know, I think I wonder how long it would take us to do all 183. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna start today. I'm gonna tell my wife I'm where I work. I'm not gonna come in for about six months. About a year. I, about a year. <laughs> yeah. I've got 183 issues to go through, and we might go into yeah. the Titans for a brief second. But uh, uh, now I have a I have a question for Ryan before we get started with Robin. Oh. And since we're going to do Robin issue number two today, in the the back of the issue, the last two pages is an advertisement for a Super Mario Brothers game. Is the game? See, I was not into video games at this point, and I've never been a huge, huge gamer. I was. Is there? Was the game actually called Mario is Missing? And was this any good, or is this like an embarrassment to the franchise? Uh, yes, it was called that, and yes, it was an embarrassment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay, so, so the quick deal on those is, like, you see, it's, it's called Mario's Missing. Um, so, it was actually, it's more of a, like, a learning educational game. So, you see, it's not really made by Nintendo, it's made by a company called the Software Toolworks, and it was more about, um, a geography learning tool, you know? So, you'd have to go around to different, uh, places in the world and learn about, like, you know, history and geography facts while, while trying to track Mario down. So it's not really a, a game that you would think of. It's But but you see the box, and I remember vividly seeing this thing, like at the video rental store, and being like, holy crap, Mario is missing, I gotta get him! And then you get it, and it's like, well, let's learn about some countries while we do <laughs> while we do this. So, uh, I think there was a few other games in that same, that same company made. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those, like, uh, I think people nowadays kind of like, realize understand it's not meant to be like 
a real Mario game. It's kind of more of a more of a interesting curiosity. But it's interesting that they took out a whole two page ad in this comic book to advertise this thing. <laughs> yeah, my sister. We played video games quite a bit growing up, and my sister was a huge Mario brother. I mean, she still is. Any Mario brother video game that gets put out anywhere, she's buying. I remember she bringing it home, and I was like, oh cool. Well, you know, I, I always liked Mario, and we. She fired it up, and she's like, "What am I in the fourth grade?" <laughs> she was just like disappointed in the uh, in the game that it. She just bought it for the namesake of Mario. Thought it was just going to be the yeah. next, you know, Mario adventure. And she's like, "Oh, it'll be a whole game devoted to nothing but Luigi. This will be great." And yeah. then she's like, "Oh, I'm learning about France and I'm learning about China." And I, yeah. I quickly was. She was like. You want to play this tomorrow? Missing a game with me today, and I'm like, nah, I'm gonna go upstairs, do something else. So, I didn't want to say like it was a bad game. Was thought, oh, we got a Mario Brothers guy in here. I better watch what I say. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It's like, dude, like I'm the guy that defends this from Mario Brothers movie. So I'm like, I have to. I am totally used to like trying to be contextual with the time that things were made and like really explain things to the nitty gritty and everything. So totally understandable. And. uh I see it was part like you see the ad in the comic book is part of the Mario Discovery series and I think they only made one other game so they had Mario's missing and then the second game they they made was uh, Mario's Time Machine which uh, was more about you know uh, history and stuff like that. Yeah. It sounds like the um, game we used to play in middle school, Where in the World is Carmen Santiago or Santiago? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it's similar to that. I wonder, like, if you read, like, the copy here in the ad, I wonder if the person who wrote this actually played the game or not, because it sounds amazing. It's like, Mario oh, yeah. is Missing has great three, 2D and 3D graphics, a new Mario music soundtrack, lots of help screens, and a fold-out map to help you keep track of facts, clues, photos, and data. Best of yeah. all, it's Mario's greatest adventure yet around every shadowy corner in every exotic city there's always something new i'm like sign me up that sounds awesome yeah yeah and you know that's the that's the era you had things like that you had like the cdi with like weird non-nintendo made stuff and uh, most importantly i believe you already also had a uh, mario teaches typing which i personally loved and i, I learned how to type by playing that game so it's, it's a fun time because you also have you know things like robin solo series at the same time Excellent. Well, today we're going to be teaking, teaking. We're going to be teaking. I don't know what teaking is, but we're going to try it. We're going to be talking about one book today. Um, as you probably kind of figured, this uh, is a long recording session for us, uh, which is actually tied into the previous uh, episode. And rather than give you like a three-hour podcast to digest, or we cut it up. So today we're just going to be talking about uh, Robin number two, going back to the good old 1993 uh, days of just being out of high school, uh, probably for Terrence and I, and talking about uh, Robin Tim Drake's first a solo series. So getting a second book in an ongoing series was a pretty cool moment. And uh, this is one of the few times in comics where you can kind of look at the cover and go, this actually happens in the issue. And uh, I just, the more going through uh, the Robin series just makes me really fall in love all over again with uh, Grummet's art. Uh, it's just beautiful to look at. The pencil lines are clean and fresh. Uh, it's not like they're kind of all, you know, etchy and scribbly and trying to be edgy for the sake of being edgy. Uh, the color is uh, brilliantly done in here. Uh, Adrian Roy has done the colors uh, for DC Comics for quite some time. Um, I'm looking at mine in the Robin Flying solo trade here, but I've got the single issue uh, in front of me. Um, I just thought this was a, a really cool cover, and uh, it 
it just always made me smile that I was picking this book up every month and knowing that Robin was going to be on every single cover um, of the issue. So uh, what do you guys think of this uh, cover here, uh, Terrence? Yeah, great cover. I like the background co- color. is kind of a yellow and uh, like an orange uh, square. It's not a very common uh, background co- color for covers. And then, uh, you know, Robin looks cool in like an action shot here, menacing bad guy with huge hands. And then he's, you got these shadowy figures with the crowbar kind of like framing it out. So um, from an artistic standpoint, which I'm not an artist, but it looks really cool. And I, I kind of like it because I, I watched, I, I don't know if you guys have seen it, they, they have that like DC All Access like mm-hmm. web show. And yeah. I have a really great clip with um, Andy Kubert. And he's talking about how he... Um, you was drawing, you know, the the Dark Knight three. Uh, I think the third book, maybe, or the fourth book, and he talked about framing the cover out with these like figures on the side, and that's what that kind of reminds me of. And after I watched that, I was like, I'm never buying a digital comic again because he kept talking about how he set the panels up and how he wants your eye to move across the page from here to there, and it, it's it's really an awesome. Uh, have you guys seen that? No, I haven't watched it. I've, I've got it bookmarked. I, I'm into wa- to watch it because spoilers. Dark Knight three is just great. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you really get quite, such an appreciation for just his artistic ability and just the, the time he takes into thinking about you as a reader looking at the artwork. And I'm sure he's not alone. I'm sure, you know, every artist um, is thinking like that when they're making their comic book. So it's just, you know, phenomenal. So great cover. A little sidebar since you brought up uh, Dark Knight 3. Now, I have them. I have not read it because I'm one of those. I want to read it once it's yeah. completed. I'm buying the deluxe version, the hard copy mm-hmm. edition. And I thought I read somewhere that that's being delayed for whatever reason. They always are. <laughs> so it's like I've got four volumes right now, and I can just now see the image of Carrie Kelly you know, going along the side. And it's supposed to come in a nice hard shell book, and I'm look- looking so forward to reading it as a whole. So um, – I, I really hope I can complete it before too long. It's yeah. my little sidebar. But it's it's and, Kubert's oh, no. art. I love his art so much. Yeah, and another quick sidebar before Ryan gives us uh, his take on the cover. I really like the Kubert interview because there was an uh picture there was a moment in that comic that I didn't understand and actually a, a friend of mine at work was also reading it and we both didn't get it because we thought that uh, this isn't a major spoiler, but we thought that Bruce Wayne broke the Flash's legs, and we were like, "What?" And then it's actually a different person who was kind of drawn, looks a lot like Bruce Wayne. And so when in the article he was like, or in the, in the video he's showing that, I'm like, "Oh, so that's what it was." So that cleared that little part of it up because we were both like, "Why did Bruce Wayne do that to the Flash?" We so um, <laughs> cleared that part up. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, just to wrap up Dark Knight 3, uh, that, I was doing the same thing. Like it, The original plan was, okay, the new stand issue will come out, and then like two weeks later you'll have this the hardcover, and then two weeks later you'll have the next new stand issue. And I was yeah. like, there's no way they're going to keep up with that. You know, and th- they've already there's already been delays for the hardcovers. You know, like there's a couple weeks later, I'm like, is that hardcover out yet? Yeah, they're like, no, it got delayed like a month or something like that. Yeah. So they keep delaying it. Um, and my plan was I was like, okay, I'm going to read – it's like eight issues. I'm going to get all the hardbacks and read it after four come out. And I did that. But uh, but now I just I, 
I just uh, I'm so invested in the story. I'm I'm just reading it now as the issues come out. So like what I'm doing is like I'm getting the hardbacks primarily, but then I'll get like the the eight dollar variant or something of the newsstand issue, and I'll be and I'll read that as soon as I can. So I'm just trying to do both because it's such a good story and it's it's a great experience. But I, I'm sure if you wait until the whole thing is out, it'll it'll be worth reading it in one fell swoop as well. Yeah, it, it looks beautiful, and I like that Jim Lee is doing all of the. You yeah, know, the the front covers of them, and they're just mm-hmm. like in pencil form. It's just it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. but uh, getting on to Robin too, you know, it's I really enjoy this cover. You know, after the pomp and circumstance of Robin number one, it's like okay, all that's out of the way. Now we can just really get into the, like the meat of the story, and it's just it's just a cool image. And for me, um, you know, this is a series that I was aware of, you know, when it was first came out, but I wasn't. Uh, I, I obviously couldn't read all the comics, and I just got an issue here and an issue there. And I, of course, like at the time this issue came out, I was only like six years old, so I couldn't really get that invested in it. So it's really great to be able to just go back, you know, reevaluate this this thing from the beginning. And um, yeah, it's just a cool image. I like the yellow, and it's just one of those things where like now we're into issue number two, and it's just getting into the meat of the story, and um, it's just really good. I think this is a cool thing that now that we're kind of here, we're you know doing two things. We're dovetailing off of Rebirth and still continuing on with uh, the Robin series. Here is I'm kind of getting to the excited, getting to the point of there are some books that I've had that I just I haven't read since that very first time. And you know this is uh, these first like 12 issues or so. I almost know them by heart, but I, I can't wait till we get to like you know the 20s and the 30s mm-hmm. of some of those uh, issues because there's some that I may have read once or I was missing some. In our previous uh, episode, you were saying um, that you're going through and picking up uh, some of the Robin uh, this Robin series, trying to complete it. Um, yeah, I am now down to 41 issues uh, to having nice. the complete entire run. Nice. Yeah, that's great. So now like I've got it on a spreadsheet on my phone, and so whenever I'm at a place like at a flea market or a comic book shop, I always have easy access to see what exactly issues I do and don't have, uh, which is great. So, uh, yeah, and uh, I've read up to like pat, way past Robin number 10, and I think we've talked about this on Twitter a little bit. It's interesting how the story kind of it, – it's, you know, looking ahead, the – the story is like kind of nice and self-encapsulated for a few issues, which is good because it sets up Tim and Tim's world and the validity of having a solo Robin series. But eventually, it gets kind of—I'm not going to say sidetracked, but it gets involved in a lot of, you know, crossovers. You know, here in a little bit, you get—it's uh, Robin is the home of the end of uh, Night Quest, and then you have a few issues of Nice End, and then you have a Zero Hour issue tie-in, which is really mm-hmm. interesting and standalone, and then you have. Um, what's after that? You have a prodigal. prodigal. So like you have this not, big chunk of like you know crossovers and things, and I'm and I think that's going to be pretty interesting for this show once you guys get the, to that point. How how you're going to cover that stuff? <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the big crossover. Um, Dustin sent me a message. He's like, "How are you guys going to handle No Man's Land?" I said, "I yeah, I have okay. no No Man's Land may just have to be." Here's the Robin issue because that that's a whole podcast and uh, the BatmanUniverse.net has already done a really good job of covering No Man's Land. Um, I think it took them a couple years uh, to do that, so we may kind of fly fly by it a little bit. And Dustin himself yeah. said he wants to 
uh, pop over when we talk some No Man's Land. So we may yeah. just do some broad strokes about it. But yeah, that's probably a better call because like if you thought Nightfall was uh, twisty and turny, <laughs> like just wait until you get to No Man's Land. Yeah. So, yeah, Night, Nightfall is a little more important, I think, for the Tim Drake Robin book because that's where it comes from. I think No Man's Land, we can yeah. do what you said, Rob. Yeah, I, I too like I look at my collection of Robin and there's gaps in it, and it's kind of funny because I can think of, well, why do I not have these issues? And it's like, oh, because this is when I was like moving and starting a new job, and mm-hmm. this is when I had no money and I couldn't buy books, and no, <laughs> this is what, why do I start here? Oh, this got me into it because you know. This cover or, you know, Stephanie Brown being Robin, I'm like, I got to find out what's going on here now. And um, and I was I was kind of like, well, doing this with you, Rob. And uh, I was like, I'm going to make complete the set. I'm going to make sure I have all 183 issues plus the zero and all that. And I'm like, I don't it's going to be a struggle, but I'm, I'm not going to buy any off the um, uh, Internet. I'm going to, you know, get them all in person. And I went to my local comic book store and I'm, and I'm like, I wonder which, which Robins that they have. And I look and they've got the entire run in back issue. So <laughs> it's not quite the daunting task that I I, I have to, uh, although I'm sure I'll probably need one and someone will buy it and then, then it'll be gone. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to completing the collection. One I just bought is uh, issue 42. It's Robin punching a dinosaur. <laughs> on the front cover is like a guy in a costume. It took me two and a half years to find this issue. I could find, yeah, because I was the same way like you. Like this is in '97 is when this one came out. Like what was I doing? I'm like, oh, I was playing in the bars and clubs at that point. So I was putting all my money into my drum kit, and I thought, oh, I'll always go back to the comic shop later. So I had these gaps of like I'm missing 12 issues here, 10 issues here, one issue here. So. uh Getting this issue 42, my run is now complete up to 112. So I have 1 to 112 complete now. But I was missing like 42, and I couldn't go in. I could find 41, 43, 39, but not 42. And I don't think that that's an, an important issue by any stretch of the imagination. I'm like, it's Robin punching a dinosaur. How many people want that book other than me? <laughs> yeah. I think we should do a challenge with the Batman universe and the Batman um, podcast network when detective hits 1000 to see who you know has the the highest percentage of because <laughs> it's easy to figure the percentage just move the decimal place and 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 see and if anybody has 27 you win automatically yeah yeah 27% <laughs> no i meant issue number 27 oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah of course there you go <laughs>
before we return to the episode, let's take a look at the credits for this issue. Uh, Robin number two has a cover date of December 1993 with an on-sale date November 2nd, 1993, with a cover price of $1.50. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. The story, titled Busted, 22 pages, features Robin post-crisis. The writer is Chuck Dixon. The penciler is Tom Grummet. The inker is Raymond Kersing. The letter is Timothy Harkins. And the colorist is Adrian Roy. This has also been reprinted in Robin Flying Solo trade paperback that came out in 2000 and that is the book that i was currently using while going through this episode and all this information can be found at mike's amazing world a great resource now let's get back into the show all right let's move into our featured uh book singular for today uh robin number two and this literally picks up. This is the camera two. If the end of the last page of Robin number one was camera number one view, this is camera two view from uh, the treetop looking down on uh, Tim finally uh, regaining from uh, not having an airbag deployed in the Redbird. Um, I'm looking at this in the trade here so I can kind of see the uh, – Last page from the previous issue where Redbird is kind of smoking from him having hit something uh, down in the ditch. And you can kind of see Redbird is still smoking. And by a couple of panels, Tim's back in Redbird driving off and there's not a ding, a dent, or a scratch. And he makes a mention of it later on that he's already put us <laughs> scratches in the paintwork. That's going to take forever for him to buff out later. I'm like, you just ran into a rock <laughs> down here. Your car <laughs> or whatever he said in the last issue one. <laughs> right. So this is uh, titled Busted. We have a shotgun here uh, pointing his uh, gun at uh, Tim that people took uh, offense at in the uh, letters column (laughs) from the previous uh, issue here, which I thought was uh, kind of funny. And I had said this in... Uh, a podcast before talking about Robin One, where Tim is explaining, you know, who he is. For some reason, I thought that happened in uh, Robin Number One, but it actually happens here that he has to go through of like, you know, I'm with Batman, and he's like, I'm Robin, Robin who? He's like of Batman and Robin. So this guy evidently oh, doesn't yeah. read the paper or anything. I don't know why I thought that happened in the previous uh, issue here. Yeah, it was funny when I when I was rereading it. I'm like, didn't Rob say this happened in issue one? Yeah. And then at this point in the comics, they were always kind of playing that line of Batman. Either people knew about him, and he, you know, he was on the the stage with the Justice League, or he people didn't believe he was real. And like the start of Batman '89, and he was just an urban legend. And I always wondered in this, how could they pull the urban legend? Didn't Anyone see the news a couple months ago where Bane had him above his yeah. you know, arms yeah. and broke his back and threw him off a building and all that? Where was Shotgun for that? But but mm-hmm. they still they like to go back and forth with that. And in all fairness, it's kind of a funny scene. You know, Robin of Batman and Robin? Like, I don't know. It, it's worth it for that. I, I thought it was kind of a chuckle, too, that, you know, we're reading a book that has Robin across it. And the main character can't even get any respect from, you know, his arch nemesis for the lack of a better argument, at least right now in this book that his other half doesn't know who the heck he is in, in, in his own book, which I thought was really kind of funny. You're like, I'm the star of my own book. Damn it. <laughs> I, I liked uh, his uh, getaway here. And I like that. I think this whole issue doesn't have any real Tim Drake, other like physical spoken dialogue other than his conversation with uh, Ariana later on. And Alfred, it's all, you know, like inner monologue, which I thought was kind of cool. 
Uh, it was you know very Batman esque, you know, when there's not somebody else for him to talk to, and getting to see him use it like a smoke bomb, and he says that he might not want to get a second look at dinner later, that it must be you know pretty foul and stinky, more of like a, a stink bomb here. I like seeing uh, Doctor Flanders appear yeah. back out of here. Uh, that his last one was in the middle of a nightfall, where he was doing the book tour of "I'm Sane and So Are You," you know, type of book. Uh, that uh, Robin had to save him uh, from uh, the uh, Riddler in the uh, TV studio. So the guy that ends up controlling him here is escaping me. Who he is? Cipher. Um, Cipher. Uh, was he? A pretty big in the Batman series beforehand, or is this more of a, a Tim Drake uh, type of a villain? Because I don't think I've read much other than him being in this book. Do you guys have any other knowledge of Cypher beyond uh, the Robin series, Terrence? No, not at all. Ryan, you at all? No, but I can. I'm going to try to find it, find the info if we can. But no. I'm trying to remember when Stephanie Brown makes her appearance, and I thought it was in this book, and I, I guess it must be a couple issues uh, down here yet, because I thought he was going to bump into her at the very end of the uh, issue here. But I got a, a really cool, uh, you know, vibe of just seeing the Clue Master again, and just started making me go through of you know what I really loved about the you know Robin series that uh, the Clue Master kind of gets bumped up into an A-list type of a villain for Robin, especially with Stephanie pretty much being hand-in-hand working with Robin in his book. So did you like the Clue Master, uh, Terrence, in the Robin series and kind of some of the you know early run uh, with having Stephanie here? Did you like that's kind of one of Tim's main villains that he would fight in the series? Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. My, before the Clue Master, I had seen him in Justice League International, uh, where he was just kind of a joke, I think, and a part of like uh, what they call it, Justice League Antarctica and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to see this serious take on him, I thought it was pretty cool. And um, he he kind of his shtick was very similar to the Riddler. Um, so it was kind kind of seemed like a little bit of a knockoff of the Riddler, a little bit, but at the same point, he seemed like a more violent version of the Riddler, at least at this point. Now, in recent times, the Riddler has become a lot more violent with, you know, Snyder and Capullo and all that. But at this time, the Riddler was more like, you know, he'd leave these notes and do all these tricks and rob a bank or steal from an art museum. You weren't afraid of the Riddler shooting you in the face or killing you. Uh, Clue Master, you kind of were, especially on this page where he's got the gun and and things like that. So, um, yeah, and and the whole connection with Stephanie Brown, I thought, was a really clever and unique um, thing for comics. So... To me, kind of like Shotgun Smith was sort of going to be Tim's Gordon. To me, I thought this was going to be like Tim's Riddler. Oh, yeah. I I, I always liked seeing him, especially when he was on uh, the cover that I knew, oh, this is going to be you know pretty cool, and, and wondering where the balancing act was going to be for Stephanie. You know, she was wanting to be a hero, but at the end of the day, this is still her dad that she's that she knows she has to take in, but I think there were some instances where she would kind of slip up on purpose just because she's trying to be a good daughter at the end of the day, too. So I know we're not that far down the line yet. I hope they bring him back for Rebirth. I know I think he was dead or something, and I know when Stephanie Brown was Batgirl for a short time, there was he was a part of that story, but it was at the end, and the writer... I forget his name for a second. Um, I heard him in an interview. He wanted to do a lot more, 
and was kind of forced to kind of just Miller? wrap everything. Miller, that's Miller, right. Yeah, yeah, Brian Q. Miller. He 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 was forced to just kind of wrap it up real quick there at the end of the Batgirl run when they were going to end it for the new 52 and bring Barbara Gordon back. Mm-hmm. And it was very muddled and wasn't really that good. So as far as just an interesting story, having Stephanie's father and mother around and part of it, I think, would be uh, hopefully something that they'll do. Hey, yeah. if they brought Stephanie Brown back from the dead, why not him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cool. Uh, cool is probably the wrong word. Seeing that Adriana has some similarities, at least with some of the Robins. You know, she lost her dad in the Cry of the Huntress series, uh, having her father gunned down, that she's now with an aunt and uncle, but they are still running uh, the Drazinsko uh, quality meets here. That she's, you know, she doesn't have her dad, and Tim right now doesn't have his dad with him being halfway around the world, and her aunt and uncle, he's like very old school, and the, you know, why is boy calling you? <laughs> That's kind of how, how I'm hearing it, and she's, you know, the, his wife is like, oh, leave him alone, and boy does not put her girl on hold, you know. I just thought that was really kind of kind of a funny little banner back and forth between the two but you know we have tim in costume he's got to try and sneak out the window i like ariana i know a lot of some people didn't i just like their relationship of tim trying to be a superhero and then trying to be a girlfriend or girlfriend trying to be a good boyfriend (laughs) tim trying to be a girlfriend wow so i just i I liked that uh, interaction between back and forth we have alfred here now I was scratching my head. Oh, and f- can I just, before yeah. you move on, say we have gotten some feedback, um, I think for Ashley, was it, who who wanted me to correct you every time you say her name wrong. So I think Adri- you said Adriana? Yeah, yeah, I think you said it right once and wrong I did. Once. Yeah. I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. So the the brunette chick that Tim likes? Yeah, Ari. <laughs> I think he calls her Ari at right. one point. Yeah, so Ari. I keep saying Adriana. I don't know why I keep saying that. <laughs> yeah. So the, the chick that he likes. Um, <laughs> it's page 34 of mine. Say like, her last name every time instead. Yeah, Drzinsko. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there we go. The hardest <laughs> word to say, I get that right. <laughs> page uh, 8 here, uh, seeing Alfred, you can kind of tell that he's in London here, but he's got the white stripe going across his hair, and I'm going, yeah. why does he look like that? And I pulled out... Uh, which I think I just covered it up. It's in uh, Night's Quest, The Search, Shadow of the Bat, issue number 22. This is when Bruce and Alfred are going to the Hunt's Ball uh, to mm-hmm. try and get uh, Cassandra. Or Cassandra. Chandra. Chandra. Yeah, and this is Alfred's disguise. So it's kind of cool that if oh. I remember right, that you know all these books were coming out together so you could read uh, you know, this particular issue of Robin and then read uh, The Night's Quest, The Search, and know that the conversation that Alfred is having is at the exact same time that that's going on. So that's why Alfred looks like that. I didn't know if you guys knew that at the time, because in reading it for the show, I kept going, why does he look like that? So my curiosity got to me, so I had to start going through my long boxes till I found this issue. And I almost gave up, and I thought, maybe it's in the quest. So that's where that takes place. Did you guys know that ahead of time? I just uh, found out about that right now, but who, whichever editor that was on the get a medal because that's great. I oh, like. I also I also uh, figured out the the cipher thing. Well, cipher was in uh, two issues previous to the to this. He was in the March and April uh, issues of Detective Comics in 1993, 657 and 658, right before started. So that's the only other place he's he's been in. And so those two issues were the place that he was introduced in. And he was also he also reappeared in uh, Beware the Batman as a cyborg agent of the League of Assassins. 
And I remember that episode now. It's, it's actually pretty good. I don't think I've seen that one. I, th- I have the series, but I'll have to, to check it really, out. I really enjoyed it. Now yeah, he's, he's about to make his exit here on page ten. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he is, doesn't appear elsewhere. <laughs> Cipher's done. I think it was kind of funny here that Clue Master's thugs had they all had cotton balls in their ears here, and uh, he's you know telling them to give me your jugs, and uh, which I, which I thought that was really kind of funny. Every time I was reading this, I was laughing, and my wife's like, "What's going on?" I was like, "Read this line." She's like, oh, "God, what are you thirteen? Yeah, I was like, "Probably." <laughs> He, uh, Cypher meets his end here uh, rather abruptly. I guess he probably should have known there's no honor among thieves. He had to figure out one of these guys was, wasn't going to make it. And it's cool that the electrocutioner's in here for a little while, too. I always kind of liked him. He wasn't never got a lot of love in the Batman comics, but uh, it's cool that they brought him over because some of the D and E-listers of the Batman characters kind of became some A-listers in the Robin series, and now that got treated... Uh, a lot better than maybe they did in, in the Batman Detective Comics, because it's really kind of hard when you've got the Joker and the Riddler and the Penguin, then like, here's the Electrocutioner. But with Robin, it, it kind of works. Head-scratcher for me in this, in 9 and 11, we have Tim going to the barn, getting the Redbird, and leaving, and then driving, which it looks like he's going to the oil derricks and the you know environmental, environmental, the industrial... Uh, side of Gotham City, but also at the same time, it looks like he's back in the barn because you can kind of see the computer and the weight bench. So I'm, I'm like, what did he do? Did he drive out of the barn, turn around, and drive back in so he can pull the map out and look at it and then get back in the car and <laughs> drive back out? I'm probably being way too literal <laughs> with this issue, but I thought, where did he drive to that he's got a, a second base set up? So it almost looks like the I don't know if the pages are out of the panels were out of sequence for some reason. Like, I felt like he should have been doing that and then getting in the car. That's, I'm probably the only one that bothers. I don't know if that bothered anybody else, you guys at all. What bothered me more was the preceding panel when Tim was talking to Alfred. And I, I can tell things aren't great in Gotham. And, t- and Tim's like, oh, things suck. John Paul is like tearing up the night like it was paper. And Harold and Ace have vanished. And I'm banned from the Batcave. And Alfred's like, come back and tim's like no yeah <laughs> yeah like i'm like yeah that's a little yeah explain that away this like is the, things are terrible don't come back this is the worst possible day ever nah bruce bruce doesn't need to come back just find my dad yeah it, that, that's basically it's like yeah my dad's more important i think this is pretty cool uh on page 13 getting to see uh some of the new tricks that the red bird can do that it's got like an electro field on it that you know guy tries to pop the hood the remote control that Tim can use for the Redbird. So I like that uh, Tim's car is just as equipped as the Batmobile would be. I always, I always liked the Redbird. I'm sad to see it go when it eventually does blow up. Uh, hey, Rob, uh, yes. let's go back real quick. Pages 10, I'm sorry, 11 and 12. Just wanted to bring up that the colors, which the name comes out, I think, is, is it Adrian Roy? Roy is it, yeah. Is it, yeah, which I know we looked up a, a little while ago and that she had passed away, but her name comes up a lot. She colored a lot of books back in the 90s, and I just love the coloring she does on 11 and 12. There's the one panel at the top where it's like all in green, to, and then the yeah. black building with the white sky and then Robin when he's going in the window, just the shading on the windows and the, the, the light on him and then the light on the side of his face and the next panel. I mean, she does just a fantastic job in a, in an age where like 
I, I don't know enough about the art, but I know the technology and stuff was incredibly limited compared to what they can do today with, you know, computers and everything. And just, I mean, again and again, she just does a fantastic job that's kind of subtle. You don't notice it till you look for it. And then as you look at it, you're like, wow, that's really good. I think we've said before, like, I can overlook a poorly written story if the art is really good. It, it somehow makes the story a seem better than maybe what it actually is uh, but a horrible art and bad coloring I don't care how great the story is if I don't enjoy looking at the pages I'm real quick to dismiss it as like eh, it wasn't pretty good and I feel like with the Robin series for the most part especially in these very first early runs the the art looks great and you got you know Chuck Dixon writing you know what we said he wrote 101 of these before, you know, stepping down for a little bit. So you had stellar art, stellar writing, and the the colors, they're just so bright and vibrant, like you said, for what their limitations were back in the day. Uh, this looks like it was done on a computer, and I would almost guarantee they didn't have that technology back then to do this crisp of color. So that goes, you know, to her capabilities as an artist here. I like, we don't get the name of the uh, thug here and wearing the uh, silver mask that's uh, throwing Robin around like a, a rag doll here. Uh, I just love the inner monologue that he has of, you know, on, on page 16, how did I miss this guy? I've got to find someone my own size to fight next time because <laughs> I feel like Tim is always going up against the wrong size. He's go- always going up against a guy that's two sizes too big. And uh, I just I love the the sense of action that he ha- that we have here on 19 with him going up. It's just a black black and white panel of him bouncing up the tires, and then uh, the tires getting kicked out from underneath of him, and him calling the Redbird in on page 18. And this is where uh, you were saying, Robin or Robin <laughs> Ryan, that uh, I'll never get those uh, skid marks out of the finish now. So I think that's <laughs> really pretty cool. You know, yeah. I also like how how Tim calls Redbird a, a she. Yeah, it's really, really, really fun. Yeah, and in fact, um, in the letter column, somebody complained that we didn't get the names of all the Speed Boys. And I wonder with this guy, how many other characters of this guy with the um, silver mask were in this many panels in a story and on the cover of the story and not named? I bet that's not too many. Yeah, they refer to the guy... In the orange as gold. So I'm assuming the guy in the red is probably red, green, gold, white, and purple. (laughs) I mean, it's not a far stretch here. So, I mean, they don't name, like you said, anybody else out of here. But I love the shot on uh, 19, which really kind of reminds me of the Detective Comics uh, that we just did on the previous episode with Tim's taking the bow staff out. And catching somebody in the throat, he's knocking the gun out of, uh, <laughs> sounds bad to say, the white guy or Mr. White <laughs> down here at the bottom. I just love you know seeing the small bow staff in the previous panel and then it retracting to its full length and him jumping into the red bird uh, then with it and taking it off. Um, something I forgot to mention in the beginning is the comment that shotgun Smith says, you know, about taking uh, Tim downtown for milk and cookies that that joke plays off and says there was a, a radio from a little bird said, uh, he'll meet you for milk and cookies later. And shotguns like, Oh, it's Batman's partner. So I thought that was a nice little nod to the uh, <laughs> beginning of the book, which I thought was really kind of funny of Tim, you know, sticking it to him. And I, 
I like the sound like effect how- on 20. Babonk. Yeah. <laughs> and I like how, you know, if we remember we were reading the letter columns from last time, you know, it's like that guy that didn't like how a cheesy and B-movie-esque that uh, shotgun was. It's like, only gets worse in this issue, and I think that's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, in fact, when I was rereading it, I thought, like, and I'm sure they couldn't have, but I almost thought, like, they, it was one of those things that, oh, you didn't like it last time? Well, what do you get ready for this one? But I'm sure it would have was already in the works. But, yeah, he call, calls his gun in the beginning, what does he call it, like a scatter gun? And, and Rob's like, point that cannon away from me and yeah. stuff. So, yeah. And then our final few panels here, it's not the police commissioner, but it's uh, Harvey Bullock and Montoya with Harvey really showing, like, a full beard uh, here. Where and I had forgotten that uh, the clue master had taken uh, Montoya uh, prisoner and you know threatened to kill her and stuff like that. Where Bullock is like uh, Brown, the clue master that creep almost killed me. Or excuse me, a uh, Harvey uh, killed him the last time. Montoya basically saying, yeah, "We don't want to give this guy another shot." And seeing the little menacing, you know, picture of the clue master, like all the evil villains do, they turn off the lights in their house and let the moonlight come in. Like, yes, my plan is working perfectly. So I thought that was pretty cool to see yeah. the clue master. You get that payoff. There's a payoff on the next issue, though. Yeah. yeah. So that's basically the uh, issue in a nutshell. Um, just kind of really, uh, this episode was to tie up the Robin uh, number one to kind of at least wrap up that series. And I, for some reason, I thought the Speed Boys played a much larger role than uh, what they did. Uh, and here they only lasted just uh, a couple. Uh, issues going into here, but this, you know, we're off to a really good start. And the Speed Boys were just the uh, catalyst for bringing in uh, the Clue Master and uh, Stephanie Brown is kind of like this is the case Robin was his first case working on, but it's setting up a much larger crime spree that's going to happen with the the Clue Master and then the uh, introduction of Stephanie Brown into Tim's uh, universe and world that will have him pitting against two women he loves, the Drzinsko chick and uh, Stephanie Brown. Yeah. So uh, what were you guys' uh, final thoughts on uh, Robin number two, Terrence? Uh, I hate to say it. It's almost a little bit of a forgettable issue just because one is issue one and issue three is one of my all-time favorite issues. Uh, so I can't wait to talk about that one. But um, this one gets kind of not because it's not good, just because it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. But I thought it was a, a, a really high quality issue. And I like that the Speedboy stuff was wrapped up and didn't wasn't a six part story or wasn't, you know, the, the first trade paperback Robin and the Speedboys or, you know, it was and it showed him, Robin being competent. Batman didn't save him. He didn't mess it up. He took down the speed boys and um yeah so overall i think it's it's a great issue that i kind of forget about sometimes uh, ryan yeah i kind of echo the same thing i mean it's 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 not uncommon for an issue two to be kind of forgotten about in a, compared to issue number one or and even the issue number three once it once the comic starts to go on but there are some cool things in in this uh, issue you know tim definitely is his own man it's it's a great time to uh, for the solo series to start stuff in it, you know, I do like how you start to establish um, his uh, relationships with with two with the two ladies, and um, you know, there's or three if you count Redbird. I mean, there's like there's <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I mean, there's lots of really great Redbird stuff in here, and you just you know, I love seeing that in action. You know, it's like 
zapping people and busting into walls and things. It's like this is this is stuff that Batman would do with the Batmobile, you know, and and you get to see Robin doing, it. and it's just one of those really cool things that uh, you get to see. And, and it's really cool because it's a you know if you look at the comic books at the time, it's a really interesting contrast between what Tim is doing and what uh, Jean Paul is doing as as Azrael. He's like you know. You know, he's shredding the the knight in Gotham or whatever is what, what uh, Tim says to Alfred in this issue. And but Tim is like trying to do his best to be a well-rounded uh, hero. And I think that contrast is is really interesting when you look at the other books at the time. I think one of the the cool things about the way this all panned out for uh, DC Comics and Robin by getting Bruce Wayne out of the way for a while, it really opens up. Tim to be able to be his own hero and own character um, and really not having to rely on Batman. Like you said earlier, Ryan, you know, that the Robin book is going to kind of snake in and out of the Batman titles, but it's only to help service the story that's there. And then Tim goes right back into his own story. So it's not really until after prodigal where, Tim Drake really gets back to working with Batman. I, mean, I think he does in issue 10 at the end of the uh, night's end, you know, epilogue where he, they have that last night before Bruce steps back down to let Dick be Batman for a while. So by, you know, 12, 13 issues later after Prodigal, you really have Tim established as being his own hero. So by the time. Bruce Wayne's fully back in the picture as being Batman, it seems very natural for the Robin series to still be continuing at the same time while uh, Batman and Detective Comics could still potentially have Tim in it telling two separate stories, but it just it feels very natural, very thought out, because we've had this real long buildup of the Tim Drake character, and that in three miniseries and now his ongoing series for a large chunk – uh, Batman doesn't appear anywhere in any of those uh, issues. So it is really a Robin book that you're not reading it going, huh, it'd be so much better if Batman were here, that you're rooting for Tim being the underdog, and it's his own book the entire the entire time, which I think it, it just it made the series that much better and just makes me smile every time I read it and go, man, this, this series was really good. So uh, like we have done on the previous episode, uh, episode uh, let's go to the letter column and see what some of the dc fans back in 93 were saying dear friend i like to start my notes to you as if we're already in the middle of a conversation i pretend that we're the oldest and dearest friends as opposed to what we actually are people who don't know each other's names and met in a chat room where we both claimed we'd never been before I wasn't planning on reading all of these, but if there's something I missed or you guys wanted to go over it, go ahead. These are letters that can be found in the back of um, issue number six of Robin. And the first one's really short. I like this. It said, Dear Editor, Batman sure was a good sidekick. Too bad he got his back broken. Robin <laughs> Ellis, no addresses supplied. P.S. Yes, I was named after the world's greatest superhero. Once I, I, when I read this, I'm like, this sounds like something Rob would write. I can't. <laughs> yeah, and then, that, that's this, my... Uh... That's my pen name right there. Yes. <laughs> the the next letter is a guy around your way, Rob, Don Cromie from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, very happy probably about the Cavaliers. Yeah. Uh, so he said, uh, Dear Denny and Jordan, 
The conclusion of the Speed Boy story in Robin number two caught me a little off guard. I thought that it would have been the usual four-part story that begins most new series nowadays. But instead, Chuck gave us fans a well-thought-out story with a fine mix of action and detective work, just the way I like it. My only complaint is that we didn't get to know any of the Speed Boys. Not even all their names are used. (laughs) (laughs) So the guy makes a great point, and I kind of stole it earlier about it being, you know, short and not a long out, drawn out thing with the Speed Boys. Um, but he wanted to know, he wanted to get to know the Speed Boys and get to know them. Um, where is it? It, um, it is more than a little tough to be against a villain if you don't know who they are. And I hope the Speed Boys are developed more in the future. I am glad they weren't. I, I, I had enough here. of the Speed Boys. Yeah. I didn't need the Return of the Speed Boys 12-part epic later. They they served their purpose, but they they were good. Um, while Shotgun Smith isn't a rocket scientist, I like him. He reminds me of Harvey Bullock. Yeah, I can see these two getting together after work and tossing down a few beers. Um, and, and then later on, they wrote, um, this is the editor's reply. He wrote, as we saw in Robin three, Harvey and shotgun actually have more of an adversarial relationship, probably because as you observe, they are more alike than they are the care to admit. And did they get too, too deep into their past or was that just sort of something that was sort of glossed over? I can't remember. I don't remember. I'm trying, to look, I'm trying to look and see how many appearances shotgun Smith actually has. He says he's in. 22 issues of uh, of Robin. It says that he's in... He, the last issue he's in is 96. So he's sprinkled out, out uh, okay. throughout the whole series. And then he's also in a few issues of uh, Batman Gordon's Law as well in 1997. Oh, wow. So it'll so wow. be interesting to kind of go through this series and see where Shotgun appears. But uh, after this, let's we'll see this issue too. He's in 3, 4, 5, and then he doesn't show up again until 15, 17, 19... 20, and so on and so forth. Hmm. So I think that gap between 5 and 15, I think, kind of speaks to what I was saying earlier about, you know, once you finish issue 5, there's a whole bunch of crossovers and miniseries and stuff in between. So, And I wondered if, if at that point, with the crossovers and miniseries, they can probably, once they get back to telling their story, they can be like, oh, we've already said what we needed to say with Shotgun, and they only used him for, like, hey, remember Shotgun? Well, here he is in one panel, and then he's gone again. So I think he was another one. I was like, I remember very vividly that these first, you know, six or seven issues, and then he just kind of all but disappears. So that makes me feel a little, feel a little bit better that I don't feel bad for missing him because I think it just kind of naturally happened. I think it's going to be like the purple cape for Batman. You hope for just slowly fades oh, away. <laughs> it says that yeah. his first. It looks like his first appearance was uh, in nineteen seventy two in Detective Comics four twenty. Wow. wow! Yeah, and it's like only in that issue, and then uh, and then he shows up way later, like in the early '90s, with with this Robin stuff. Hmm. Somebody's doing more homework than I am for going yeah. writing and figuring what's a character that DC Comics I know, has. I love seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like when uh, uh, Darwin Cook, I think, right around his era of Catwoman, and they brought Slam Brady back, who was from like Detective Number <laughs> One, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, and that de- Detective Four, for what I say, Four Twenty Eight. That whole issue is about Shotgun Smith. It's Batman meeting the toughest cop in Gotham. Oh, cool! Steve Shotgun Smith goes to any lengths to tra- to crack down on Gotham's drug dealers, but Batman clashes with him for his unorthodox methods. That's interesting. I want to have to see if I can get that digitally or something. That's I just wrote that yeah. one. You said that Detective Comics Four Twenty Eight. Yeah. 
There, there's your homework, folks out there. Uh, Detective Comics 428. <laughs> Let us know what you think of Shotgun Smith. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, this next letter I wanted to read. It's a little long, but I think it's worth reading. And it's funny because a lot of times people will write the letters and then they'll have questions and they'll number them one, two, three, four, and then the editor will reply with the same numbering. But it's weird because this letter, the person doesn't do that, but the editor replied with a numbering of one, two, three, four, five. And then the next letter, which I wasn't going to read, but if you guys wanted to, the person does number one, two, three, four, and then the editor just replied with one, one line, and that was it. So, um, but it says here, dear sirs, basically, I'm writing my fi- first letter to a comic. At this point, after 600 and some collected comics, I simply had to write about the newest of the DC heavy hitters. I don't speak of John Henry Irons, but of Robin. First, I would like to address the first issue. One word, stunning. Mr. Grummet captures the great style of mainstream DC comics. Mr. Dixon has intelligent dialogue and a beautiful grasp of storytelling. The colors are bright and distinct. Some people pass over things like color and inking, but I feel that a good comic should be sharp, defined, and brilliant. Therefore, I feel that Scott Hanna and Adriana Roy should get extra special kudos for this first issue. Keep it up. My main goal is to discuss some of the issues brought up in the letter column. I first want to agree with Thomas Maple that Robin has always been Batman's junior partner. This is true, but this isn't the same Robin. Tim is... Tim has the same drive that Dick and Jason had, but unlike Jason, Tim had the brains to become a true detective like Dick and Bruce. From the first time we saw Tim and how easily he penetrated the disguise of the cow and saw the real person underneath, Bruce Wayne, we knew that he would be a more cerebral, more technologically oriented hero than Jason or even Dick. And so I always, the way I always read it is like wherever they are in the letter, then I go and read that part of the editor response and go back and forth so for that the editor responded number one very true that tim is not the same as the robins who preceded him dick grayson and jason todd tim does combine the best qualities of them both physical prowess, strong detective ability street smarts and general cunning regardless i would not sell either of tim's predecessors short had the extraordinary circumstances under which tim went solo been present presented to dick or jason they too would have adjusted just as well i don't think jason would have but that's another story <laughs> in fact if you reread yeah because when jason went solo he became the red hood and murdered people but still yeah. um in fact if you reread back issues featuring the previous robins particularly those featuring jason you will see that both of them had as much of the right stuff as tim sadly jason never had the time to realize his full potential um Next part of the, the letter from this guy, Jim, writes, There have been hints that part of the main supporting storyline will show the effects of crime fighting on a junior high student. Tim is only 14 or 15, isn't he? Having a girlfriend worry about you while you destroy the evil menace has always been the bane of most of the great superheroes. Pardon the use of the word bane, please. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> this, is, this is what I love. Superman had Lois Lane. Hal Jordan had a girlfriend who could get pretty mean when she she's ticked. <laughs> and Wally had dot, 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 and so on. <laughs> he didn't really research the letter very much. Jordan had a girlfriend. Wally had somebody. Um, well, there's no internet, so. Yeah, know. exactly. Um, this seems to be a normal theme amongst heroes. I hope to see more of these problems as well as others that most early teens deal with. The handling of Tim's um, facial bruises in the Robin miniseries was a more innovative Robin-specific mm. problem that was mm. dealt with nicely. And I think it was just shortly after this with um, 
Green Lantern and Kyle Rayner, where they started to all have girlfriends who got murdered or, you know, cut up into refrigerators and they started <laughs> that, you know, the verb fridging the girlfriend. So yeah. oh, hopefully boy. it hadn't come up here, but. The response back is Tim is 14 and Chuck has already begun to delve deeper into the conflicts inherent in being both a superhero and a student with homework and girlfriend. Girlfriends are calling. These subplots are my favorite part of Robin, too, which is a credit to Chuck. I do agree that Robin or Tim reads as a teenager, but he, he reads older than 14 to me. He's more like 16, he's 17. Ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I took it as he's, he's younger, but he's kind of a, a ahead of his time kind of, kind of a guy, which is, which is, I think pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, speaking of, speaking of that, like dealing with, you know, issues beyond a normal superhero would face, I think later, I won't spoil anything, but later in the series, I think it deals with things like, Teen pregnancy mm-hmm. and uh, gun violence and gun control in in, in high schools and stuff like Drugs. that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so there's I think Dixon probably gets into some pretty interesting social commentary right here uh, as the issues go on. On a very special Robin, we talk about drugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The more you know. <laughs> Skipping down. Yeah. Robin getting pulled over and having a license really touched a nerve with people because he writes, also, how will Tim <laughs> cope with rude cops who pull shotguns on him? Will he get his license revoked as Robin or as Tim? So he's under the impression he has two licenses. <laughs> 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 and he so might lose Delaney. one or the other. Yeah. Jelani's don't licenses and they even responded here number four um shotgun smith never got a chance to ask robin for his license and tim plans never to give him another opportunity (laughs) and then uh and then he asked for a robin r symbol pin so i thought that was pretty cool and um i don't know there's a few others but i wasn't going to read all of them i know was there anything in um this that catches your eye. I, I will read this one. I, I think it's kind of funny. Someone took the time. This is back in the old days, not an email where you had to like write a letter, address the letter, stamp it, all that. And it just says, Dear Bird People, Robin's got a nice car. Pays to dress up in tights, I guess. Like, <laughs> that was a lot of work for just the one line. Um, <laughs> and a lot of work to go where they say, We're going to print this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They needed just that little space. And so I guess it, it worked for them. No, you hit the uh, the couple that I was uh, hoping you were going to read. Excellent. Uh, I like I like doing this. I like this is going to be um, hopefully an ongoing uh, thing for us. Uh, letters from Terrence from other readers back in the nineties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, as we do when we have any guests on, I know uh, we've kind of done it before. Um, anything you want to plug or anything that you have uh, for the other listeners? Uh, that are co- that's coming up on uh, Batman on film that you guys are gearing up towards or kind of what uh, the hot button or the issues you guys are discussing <laughs> over there, which I, I can tell by your chuckle what a couple are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, B- BOF is, is definitely, right now, it's kind of the, what you'd call old school BOF. It's not kind of, we're not sugarcoating stuff and we're not just like, everything's great. We're just trying to keep a level head and just talk about the issues and Tell tell people you know this is how we feel about stuff you know and uh, but it's a uh, you know if you just want to listen to a podcast about people that are brutally honest about what they think and who just want the best for you know Batman and the DCEU just give give it a listen so it's the the Batman on Film podcast it's obviously it's the the leader and founder of the Batman podcast network and you can check out that show that I'm on and uh, and. Everyone loves the Drake as part of it as well, and you can check that out at uh, 
BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. All those shows are just listed on there. And uh, you can find me on Twitter if you want to ch- chat more about Batman or comics or whatever uh, on uh, Twitter at, uh, at SMB underscore Ryan. And I know that Terrence and I have both said it before, but I really – I like what you guys are – and this is not pandering at all, but I like <laughs> that it sounds – it sounds cliche, but I'm glad you guys are keeping it real. It's yeah. it's okay. Like I'm somebody I love BVS. Um, there are issues with it. Um, I liked the uh, Ultimate Edition. I'll be getting yeah. the statue version coming out. There's things that I really like about it, but there are things that I go, yeah, that's that's an issue and a problem that needs to be corrected. And I don't expect you guys to be like, this is awesome, this is great, and just be totally bulldozing over all the negativity without addressing it. It, it yeah. only makes the stuff that's really good seen, not, not seen that is, you guys do highlight the good stuff, but yeah. you've got to have the contrast with the good and the bad, and you have to be able to call a spade a spade and not go, well, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that Bill never resorts to, to yeah. just saying what he quote-unquote should say. Exactly. If it upsets some people, that's that's what discussion's yeah. all about. You can have it your is, opinion, exactly. and I can have mine, and it's. but I, I'm glad that you guys put out the facts as they are, and that's that's what they are. Yeah, we're just being honest with, with the way we feel about the stuff, and it'd be dis- the listeners and us personally to, to, to pander and it's – BV, you know, whether you, what do you do? You love it or hate it? The whole Batman vs Superman thing is just very, very incredibly divisive, and people have opinions on it. We're trying to keep the head and say what we think, and, and and also talk about what's what's actually happening and what we want to like. So, see moving forward. So it's we're trying to have a, the best balance of you know keeping it real <laughs> as <Yeah>. possible. <laughs> it's funny because uh, I did not like Batman v Superman at all. And the more I, th- I think about it and the more I, I dwell on it, the more and more I hate the movie. And, uh, we were on the, um, the Holy Batcast and that I didn't want to like be too negative. So I was like, yeah, you know, it's okay. Some days I like it, but, but so if I'm coming from the position of not liking the movie at all. And I hear you guys mm-hmm. and you guys are talking about it's positives and giving it like a B rating C plus. And I'm like, wow, these guys are so positive. And then all the feedback of you guys being nothing but negative. I'm like, I'm like the opposite. I'm like, I think these guys are really positive on the movie. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, I well, guess it's, it's all perspective. How, uh, it's perspective and, and how you feel about a movie a few months later, you know, we, you know, you, you guys and I, we did the Batman v Superman show for Everyone Loves a Drake, and yeah. I think we were we were all a little bit more positive over. Oh, well, I think Rob, you 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 liked it the whole time, but we yeah. were all a bit more positive at the time. And but just you know, after a few months, and not really, it's not that I'm letting other people really really affect what I think, but just the more I watch the movie and think about it and dissect it because I care about the characters so much, you know, things that. The good stuff is still good, but the bad stuff is like making the whole picture as a whole like worse and worse to, for me, you know, in, in, in certain ways. So, but it's just one of those things where the, the best the best thing to do about it is just keep talking about it and hoping that uh, in in doing so we can get past it or get get to the next thing and just be excited about it, you know. And the thing about uh, these movies is that you know you, you you know you get a new comic book every week now, but movies, you know. You have to wait years for a good Batman and Superman movie, and that gap is shortening with the DCEU. But we just want to make sure that everything is has the, it's the best chance it can to to, to please as many people uh, at once. Yeah, I even think just on where Terrence is on one side of it, and I just watched it again uh, digitally. A friend of mine uh, gave me his digital uh, copy of it, and 
I I thoroughly enjoyed it front to back, and there were parts I was like, why did they take that out of the movie? Yeah, that makes that sequence you know so much better. But yeah. I I can still look at it as a whole and go, yeah, there are some issues with it, but yeah, there's just difference in opinions. I the more I watch it, the more I still really like it. And I can I can totally see somebody's point of view going, this is why I hate the movie, and I can go, I can I can see that, you know, I I totally get it, and the one I'm really excited for is Suicide Squad. The more I'm seeing of it, I'm trying not to put the cart before the horse, but I really hope Suicide Squad is really good that yeah. that it's that this is the movie that kind of writes things. And then you yeah. know Wonder Woman will steer it. So Justice League still has me a little little worried, but you know Yeah. Um I wanna enjoy enjoy the next thing first before I start, you know, worrying down the line. <laughs> so I you know, I'm glad that we're like three in a half weeks or so away from uh, Suicide Squad, and I have no clue what that movie's about. Yeah. Like, still have no clue, and I'm glad, you know, compared to, you know, the Justice League set reports where we were getting, like, descriptions of full scenes and everything. I like the fact that with Suicide Squad, I just kind of know nothing, which is a great feeling going into, going into a movie like I feel it's like Force Awakens, you know, going into the Force Awakens. Yeah, it does. I really had no idea. I mean, who the characters were, but even that, I kind of knew who they were. So I'm really hoping that they've, at least as far as David Ayers and uh, uh, Patty Jenkins are concerned, that they are going to play close to the chest and or close to the vest and just put out just enough to get people excited and just stop there. What, you say close to the chest or close to the vest? I, I said it both. I said chest and vest. Because uh, I always wonder which it was, and I think they say it both ways in The Dark Knight, too. And I always thought it was close to the vest – I thought it was like a gambling term with poker or something, and I, oh. and and they and they, but it might not be. But they brought it. I know they say it, and I think they say it both ways in the Nolan trilogy too. That always like bugged me. Which one it was? I've so. I've heard it both both ways, and somebody has corrected me like a long time ago in school and said no, it's close to the vest. I was like, okay, okay, gonna, I'll try and say it that way. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm 18. I don't really give a crap. Chest or vest? I like chest better. No. <laughs> yeah. So it uh, seems like it's a, a geographical thing. It seems like yeah. close to the vest is like a British thing. Close to the chest is like an American thing. It's maybe like, maybe that's I don't know how true that is. But is it the difference between like pop and soda? You know, depending yeah, on or flavor with a U. Yeah, there you go. Orange <laughs> or orange. Or <laughs> our orange. Well, I think this is where we're going to wrap up this uh, episode. Ryan, thank you very much for uh, coming on. Hopefully we're not keep yeah. pulling you back into the uh, Robin uh, podcast, <laughs> but we we love having you on. I think it goes without saying you've been on like a hundred of them now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's no, it's a great place to be, and I just, I love Robin, and I love Tim Drake, and, you know, it's it's definitely really helped reinvigorate, you know, my love for comic books, and it's forced me to reread, not reread, it's forced me to read things I've never read before, like uh, Lonely Place of Dying, which I hadn't read before this podcast, and now I'm, like I said, I'm trying just to get all the issues of Robin too, so I can follow along with the podcast. Like, I think I've got like, I've, I've read like at least the first 10 issues and I've got like a, uh, word doc here. I've just got notes for like each time I read it, the issue, I just like write a bunch of notes down. So I just remember what I thought about it, you know, in case I follow along in the podcast or if I'm back later or something like that. Excellent. I didn't, I meant to ask you before when you said you had read, um, uh, the, almost the whole run up until Robin number one. Like, what, what was your time frame from when you started reading, like, oh. year three? Like, I don't f- think I forgot to ask you the last time you were on. 
Like, what was well, your crunch <laughs> for for doing let's that? See, let's see, let's see. I, if you, you can follow me on the pictures on Twitter and see it. Um, so I'm pretty sure the first shows I did with you guys were the showcase issues. Yeah. So it was the showcase issues, and then pretty much from then is when I started reading. Uh, I did the showcase issues, and then I got everything else, and I started reading everything else after that. So between the showcase issues and uh, the Robin number one episode, or whichever one it was, is when I read the entire, all that stuff. So I don't know, three months or something, I guess, uh, something like that. That's a good time frame. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Just to track down the issues and get them all in order and... Everything uh, and just follow and follow along with the podcast as well is is quite an endeavor, but it was totally worth it. Well, as always, thank you very much. Uh, for, yeah, thanks for being for, on, Ryan. For being part of the show, really appreciate it. Well, that's hey, and go Rob, ahead. let me tell you two quick things before I go. Um, on the, this month's uh, rebirth issues, did you see on the back of it? There's like a advertisement in big pink for Simon's Cat card game. <laughs> yes. Right. So uh, I had whatever it was, 15 or 20 rebirth issues here for that month. And I was reading them. And as I would read one, I would put it upside down to show that I read it on. And I, I was on, on my bed here and I had like 20 of them spread out. And my stepdaughter walked in and she's like, oh, my God, how many Simon Katz comic books did you buy? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 that's the back. And then uh, also this morning uh, I was showing her, I was like, hey, you want to see this, some of the guys I'm doing the podcast with? And I was putting on some of the YouTube videos of Luke. And we put on yours where you're doing the unboxing of the Arkham Knight things. Yeah. And it's hilarious where you get the, you want the Mr. Freeze, you get the Catwoman. And so you get the wrong thing you want, and then you break its arm off. We, we, we got a good chuckle of that. That was quite funny. Yeah. You want to see something funnier watch me uh do the unboxing of the suicide uh, squad mystery minis where i thought i had the map correctly look and count how many rick flags and katanas and uh el diablos i have you want to laugh i started putting annotations in there (laughs) that start saying oh my god will this guy stop please unplug his youtube channel (laughs) yeah yeah and you could just hear it in my voice where i'm like are you kidding me yeah if you want a good laugh watch that Yeah. Um, If you want a Rick Flag, Katana, or uh, El Diablo, I've got plenty. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, this is going to do it for this episode. I want to thank both my co-hosts, Ryan Haas, again, thank you very much. And as always, Terrence O'Neill, thank you for doing this with me, brother. Uh, Thanks for listening to the BatmanUniverse.net. And thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all related Batman characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for your entertainment purposes. There is no money exchanging hands at any time for any reason. I can't even find a quarter underneath my keyboard. So no infringement is intended by the show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as well. So there should be no need for you to send Lex Luthor's lawyers after us. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. You can now get a hold of the show in a few different ways now. The most recent is on Twitter. We are at ELTD Podcast. You can also now get a hold of us via email. It only took me two years to get one. So if you want to email in, you can do so at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And we are also on YouTube. 
In the search engine in YouTube, just type in Robin Everyone Loves the Drake and it'll take you to our YouTube page. And as always, you can message directly over at the Batman Universe website. So email, tweet, message us. We'd love to hear from you and we will read your comments on the air. The show that you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes, Windows Media, and over at our host site, The Batman Universe. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It will help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to thebatmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We will see you in a few weeks. Take care. Then the yeah uh, I um, wow and uh, you know uh, you know but you know um, um, uh, the you know the I uh, uh, and uh, and uh, um, uh, yes I, um, um, the the uh, um, uh, but uh, uh, yeah and in fact um, you know uh, uh, but uh, you know um, yeah. you know our, uh, it looks like a uh, it's not the police commissioner. Uh, here, I believe it's the I don't know who it is. The mayor. Um, uh, I hate to say it. Um, 